Red Rocks Church. How are we doing today? I'll tell you what, it's going to be a good weekend. Um, and one of the reasons why it's going to be a good weekend is we're bringing this series, Modern Jesus, to a culmination, a tipping point. And I believe it's going to climax on this night. And we're going to have an amazing night where we're going to get some truths, some, some insights on who Jesus is and was and will continue to be. Um, I hope that this series has been a blessing to you. Has it been a blessing to you? Have you enjoyed it? I'm seeing some nods. I'm seeing some yes. Um, I think this is a timely series, not only for our church, but I just think for, for our culture um, that's asking a lot of questions around the relevance of whether or not Jesus is still significant. Um, how is it, we've been asking, how is it that a Jewish carpenter from Palestine 2,000 years ago, a little over 2,000 years ago, is still relevant today? How does he still matter in our lives full of smartphones and smart cars? I was talking to somebody the other day and their car drives them to work. It's just weird. How does Jesus fit into all of that? And so we've been asking a lot of really significant questions, and I hope that it's um, maybe shed some light on who you believe Jesus to be. Um, hopefully you see him a little bit more clearly. Um, that's one of the reasons why it's going to be a good weekend. Um, but wait, there's more. Also this weekend, you guys heard this, if you've been living under a box, you, 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 you've maybe missed this, but this weekend, our mission as a church is to make heaven more crowded by being a front porch for prodigals. And this weekend, we're launching another front porch in another part of the city of Denver. We're going to be launching our Park Meadows campus this weekend. So across all of our campuses, can you make some serious noise as we welcome for the very first time our Park Meadows campus? Come on, you can do better than that. My goodness. I love it. Hey, we're, we're so glad that you're joining with us. I want to say a quick thank you to those of you that are serving at our Park Meadows location. Um, there's hundreds of you that have said yes to going and helping make that place feel like a home. Thank you. And there's been thousands upon thousands of you, myself included, um, that we've sacrificed financially so that we can take more ground for the sake of Jesus Christ and his message. Um, and so thousands of you said yes to sacrifice so that some people in Lone Tree, Colorado, Park Meadows could say yes to Jesus. Can we put our hands together for everybody that's sown generously into the work here? It's going to be amazing. My heart is full of faith. Um, for those of you that are visiting, I want to say what's up. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the guys on our teaching team here at Red Rocks Church. And our hope is that wherever you're coming from, um, whatever's happening in your life right now or has happened in your life or will happen in your life, um, we want to make sure that you know first and foremost, right when you walk into this building, that you are loved you are valued and you are accepted here. That's the heart of this house, straight from the heart of our senior pastor. So whatever you're coming in here with, we're so glad that you're here. And we believe with, without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your solution that you may or may not have been looking for. Um, before we dive into the rest of this weekend and we get open up our Bibles, I want to invite you back next weekend. We're going to be kicking off a brand new series that I think could be the most significant series of our entire year. Um, we're calling it Bricks and Stones. Um, come back next week as we kind of take a look at some, some, oh, some of what is ahead for our church 
as we begin to dream and believe for what is ahead for our church, um, you don't want to miss these next three weekends. You're going to hear kind of the heartbeat. You're going to hear from, from some of our team what we're believing and expecting for the future. And so make sure that you get here, invite a friend, bring somebody, but be here the next three weekends. We're going to have some amazing voices and some amazing guest speakers um, during that series. So make sure you mark your calendars. You ready to get into the Bible? Anybody ready to get in the Bible? Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to take a look at a story that I think is going to be familiar to many of us. Um, and it is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, if you've ever heard of the Good Samaritan, can I just, can you just wave your hand at me? Can you just say, I've heard of it, okay? There we go, there we go. Good, good amount of hands. The last service, I, I, I asked them and like three people raised their hand. I'm like, what the heck? We're failing. Um, Good Samaritan is one of those common stories that's just become iconic. It's been iconic to um, Christendom and Christianity, um, but it's been iconic to our culture. Um, if somebody does something kind for somebody that is in need, we can say, man, that's like a Good Samaritan deed. They're, they're like a Good Samaritan. Um, this story has created a realm of familiarity inside of our minds, but um, I want to take a look at it from a different perspective, if we can, this weekend. Have you ever, maybe it's just me, have you ever read the story of the Good Samaritan and felt pretty lousy about your life? Like, I am unkind, I'm not doing enough, I'm not being kind enough to people in need, and, and it feels like one more thing getting added onto your plate if I gotta also read the Bible, and I gotta pray, and I gotta get to church, and I gotta be nice to my campus pastor, and I gotta listen and take notes, and we have all these things, and so sometimes when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, it can feel like one more thing. Have anybody ever felt that? And sometimes you're like, man, I am a lousy human being. I want to challenge us this weekend to look at this story in context, and I think that we're going to maybe get some truths out of this story that maybe you haven't seen before, maybe you have seen them, and we're just going to encourage you to believe them again or to drive them deeper into your heart. But as Jesus is sharing this story, can I maybe say something that might be a relief to you? Um, his hope is not that you would read yourself into the person of the Good Samaritan, he, he didn't share this story to go, all of you should get out there and go be the Good Samaritan. And before you let yourself off the hook, I'm not saying that you can't be kind and we're not supposed to be kind to people in need. So before you're like, oh, thank God I get to stay home and watch Netflix and play video games. That's not what he's saying either. But let's dive into the context because I think it's going to share something amazing because this story is not about social justice, though that matters greatly to the Lord. Um, this story is about Jesus's plan for salvation. Open your Bible up to Luke 10, 25, and we're going to take a look at this story. Just to set a little bit of context really quickly, right before Jesus goes into this moment in Luke 10, 25, he has this discussion where he turns around to, to his disciples and he's like, fellas, there's going to be kings and prophets that wish that they could hear the things that you hear, see the things that you see, but they're going to see these things, but not see them. They're going to hear these things, but not hear them. Have you ever been listening to a message? You're listening, your ears are listening, you're hearing words go in, but it doesn't change you. 
and the person next to you can listen to the same message and it changes their life and you're like, what did I miss? Jesus is going, fellas, my disciples, there's going to be things that you hear, things that you see that kings and prophets are going to wish they could hear and see. Then he goes into this passage. Watch what happens. Verse 25 says, and behold, right after he said this, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. It's not a good idea. Saying, teacher, he says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the question he's asking. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? Like, what do you read? How do you read it? And let me just create a little bit of context. When this lawyer stands up, he's not like a civil lawyer or a social lawyer. He's not like Judge Judy. He's not in divorce court. He's not issuing lawsuits back and forth between people. He's not a real estate attorney. This guy is a religious leader. He is an expert in religious law. How, how many of you know we've been talking on and off throughout the course of this year that, that the believers during this time, Jewish people in particular, lived by a set of laws as a way to justify themselves before God. There were 613 laws that they needed to live by and abide by perfectly in order to have right standing with God and gain eternal life. Sounds pretty tricky. Um, we're familiar with 10 of those. 10 of those are, are the 10 commandments. We know those. Um, and they needed to live by these laws. And so this man stands up and Jesus says to this man, how do you read the law? As in, what do you believe you need to do to get eternal life? It's a good question. But look at the way that this man interprets this. He says, he answered in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all, circle that in your Bible, all your heart. With all, circle that one too, your soul, and it gets better, and all your strength. Wait, there's more. And with all your mind. Anybody seeing maybe a potential issue with this? And then he goes, and one more thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. So where this lawyer, this, this religious leader at the time is getting this from, if you boil down, and Jesus affirms this, and, and the Bible affirms this, that if you boil down all 613 laws all that those laws are designed to do is to help you fully love God and fully love others. So when this man says, here's what you got to do, teacher. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and also love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody seeing where this might be difficult? Anybody doing this flawlessly? If so, here you go. The, the, there's a, a problem being posed. And so, but listen how Jesus responds in verse 28. Doesn't make sense. And he said to him, lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. There's only one problem. His answer is correct based upon what? 
So this man gives a response based upon what he knows. He's going, listen, I know what the law says. The law says fully love God, completely love God. Uh, But it also says fully love others, completely love others. And so when Jesus says you've answered correctly, when he says do this, this means do this all the time without fault, without delay, without pause, without rest, in all seasons, at all time, in every way, do this. Jesus, this is a really difficult thing to do. How on earth would I be able to perfectly love God and perfectly love people at all times? Have you ever wondered why Jesus gives answers the way that he does sometimes? Like I'm sitting there going like, Jesus, you know this is impossible. You know that this guy cannot do this, but you said, good answer, go do that and you'll have eternal life. It's almost like, it's almost like cruel, like he lets this guy go knowing full well that this guy is going to fail. It seems very unkind. It seems merciless. It seems like Jesus is being kind of just like a savage to this guy. Like, go on. You're going to fail. You're going to fall flat on your face when he could just say, believe in me. Like, believe in me that I, I can fulfill everything that you cannot. Everything you lack, I can supply. Jesus could have just said, believe in me, but he didn't say that. Why would Jesus let this man go and pretend that he could do this on his own. Here's why I think that this message is so important for us today. There's a lot of people that are asking the question, why is Jesus significant? And they don't know it, but they're a lot like this lawyer. They think that everything in this life, everything that they long for, the 401k, the, the retirement, and hopefully the, the chance to retire early. They hope that their wife stays looking young for a long, 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 long time. The bank account always grows, and, and they have this closeness with God and, and favor with man. And, and it seems like surplus and growth around every corner. That's what this guy wants to to run and chase and pursue. We have a culture that's trying to do the same thing. The only thing that's a problem is they're not going to find it. So Jesus lets this man continue on. He lets this man believe he could potentially do this. And look at verse 29. But he, meaning the lawyer, watch this, desiring to justify himself. AKA desiring to live perfectly, he asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? Sounds like a pretty good question, but he's going, okay, I got the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, I got that. But, but, but if you could just help me, Jesus, with maybe some minutia and maybe some fine print sort of stuff, like who is my neighbor? What kind of a, a circumference do I need to circle around maybe the, the, the perimeter of my front door? Who are my neighbors so that I can perfectly and, perfectly and completely fulfill this portion too? He asked the question, who are my neighbors? Jesus, how do I justify myself? How do I get right standing? How do I get fulfillment in this life? And look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 30. Watch how Jesus responds. Jesus responds with the story of the good Samaritan. And Jesus replied saying, a man was going down from Jericho, or from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I just wanna set this up. Remember, I'm gonna, I'm gonna propose to you that you and I are not the good Samaritan in this story. I'm also going to propose to you, and we'll let the scriptures decide and let you weigh this out for yourself, that, that we are the man who has just fallen under the robbers. They have stripped him, they have beat him, and they have left him for dead. And I'll also want to maybe submit to you, have you ever heard of the fact that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy? So this is a picture of you and I The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But notice what the enemy steals from this man. Notice the sequence of events. It doesn't say that they beat this guy and then they strip him of his clothes. It says they first stripped him of his clothes and beat him and left him for dead. It's a weird sequence. Like, if, is this guy maybe just dripping in Gucci? Is he in designer? And they want to steal this guy's clothes. This is weird that they're after this guy's clothes. Anybody else maybe see this as kind of weird? They strip him. They beat him. And then they departed, leaving him half dead. I want to propose to you that this is what happens when the enemy comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He has one aim, and that is to strip us of our covering. He's very crafty. He's very tactful. He knows exactly where the weakness is in you and I. If he can remove the covering, what is the covering? We'll have to figure out and see. But if he could remove our covering from us, now we are susceptible to death. We are, deceptive, or we are susceptible to being beaten. And here this man is. He's laying there. And all they've taken is his clothes. It doesn't say they took all of his treasures. It doesn't say they took all of his wealth. He had horses and chariots and and gold and jewelry and fine furniture and spices and livestock. It just says they just stripped him of his clothes and left him there. Watch how this continues on. Verse 31 says, now by chance, lean to your neighbor and tell him by chance, now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed him on the other side. And then here comes another one. So likewise, a Levite, verse 32 says, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, normally when we read this, preachers like to go, you are the Levite, you are the priest, you're the believers when we're missing the mark and we're leaving these people that are high and dry and, and beaten and left for dead and we're not doing enough and you've got to buy them food or give them a gift card. And da, da, da. Some of those things are true. But what Jesus is trying to, to present to this crowd, in particular the lawyer looking to justify himself, he gives him a picture of the religious community. The the description of the priest and the description of the Levite in this situation are representative of the law and the religious system. Notice he says, when the law came and saw the man, it passed by him. 
Notice when he says that when the religious system came by the man, it passed by him. It was unable to save him. And he also says that he just passed by by chance. Meaning he stumbled past this man in need, but his intention was never to save this man. Now, I want you to lean in a little bit because this is, this is also confirmed and reinforced for us in the book of Romans. The apostle Paul says, listen, the law of Moses, the law, it was unable to save us. Unable to. As it passed by us, it was unable to save us in our time of need, but it left us to die in and of our own selfishness in and of our own sin nature. It goes on in, in, in eight verses three and four. And it also says that, that what the law was unable to do, that God sent his son Jesus to do for us what we were not able to do on our own. Now this is consistent with the story. The law, the religious system passes by this man in need and is unable to lend a helping hand. Why? It's unable to do so. It never intended to do that anyway. Remember, we've talked in, in the past, the law is not bad, right? The Bible says that the law is beautiful and it is perfect. Who is bad? Nudge your neighbor. Say, you is bad. I is bad. The problem is we have a sinful self-interest. The problem isn't with the law. If we loved people perfectly and we loved God perfectly, the world would be pretty amazing. Like even if my street just did that, I would love to live on that street. Anybody with me? This is good. It would be amazing if we could do this. The problem is you is bad and I is bad. So here's the problem. We like to belittle and push to the side the, the priests and the Pharisee, but it's just a picture of the law and the religious system. The law cannot save you. Religion cannot save you. And look what the, the Bible continues to do. The apostle Paul says, but God sent Jesus to do for us what we could not. Cue the good Samaritan in verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. That's different than happened to pass by. He came to where he was. That speaks that he had purpose and intentionality. He meant to pass by this man. And it says when he saw him, it doesn't say he passed by, but look what it says. He had compassion. Now, this doesn't just mean that the Samaritan man, as he's walking by, he's like, oh, you know, what a guy. Oh, I wish I could help you. Oh, isn't that such a shame? This word compassion here is only used throughout scripture when it's identifying and uncovering the mercy of God, the deep longing mercy of God for his children. We see this same word compassion in Luke 15 with the story of the prodigal son. It says, when the father saw his son a long way off, he was moved with compassion. This word compassion means literally that this man felt deep inner sympathy in the depths of his bowels, that it literally moved his bowels. Anyone need a bowel movement? Just joking, that's not what it's talking about. 
sorry, too far, Ronnie, grow up. What it means is at the depth of his stomach, he could just, oh, my compassion goes out for this man. I feel this in the depth of who I am. He was there on purpose. When he saw him, he was moved with compassion, the Bible says. Verse 34 says that then he went to him. He bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him down on an animal, on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, this is interesting. The Bible says that when this man came, when the good Samaritan came, when Jesus came, he already had oil and wine. I do a decent amount of travel. Usually I leave oil and wine behind. I don't really need it when I'm on the road. Why on earth would this man be traveling with oil and be traveling with wine? Which leads me to my second question. Why is he fixing this guy's wounds with oil and wine? Anybody else like when I get cut or when I fall, I'm not like, babe, where's the olive oil and I need some red wine. It's weird. During this time, it was a little bit more common. They would use olive oil to soothe and to reduce the swelling of a, of a wound. And they would also use wine to, to cleanse the wound of impurities. The Good Samaritan had those readily. He had bandages readily. It's like he came on purpose in order to heal that which was broken. Let me remind you in the Gospels, it says that Christ didn't come for the healthy because the healthy don't need a doctor. He says he came for the sick. Likewise, he didn't come for the righteous, but he came for sinners. Friends, this is the best picture of Jesus that I think he could muster up in the form of allegory or parable. He's telling people he came on a mission. He came with purpose. He came with design for the purpose, with intention to mend this man's wounds and then to carry him. The book of Isaiah says that he came to carry our afflictions upon himself. And so here's the picture of the good Samaritan. He loads this man, beat up, bruised, left half dead. He loads him onto his beast and he begins to walk as he carries this man. Friends, this is a picture of Jesus. Unlike the priest and the Levite, he had everything that he needed to heal this man. And in verse 35, I just have to forewarn you, this is my favorite part, so I'm like a little excited. Sorry, first row, you're gonna get spit on. Luke 1035, it says, in the next day, meaning that he stayed with this man overnight to care for him, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and watch this. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you. Oh, I love this so much. He says, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. How many of you know that when Jesus left after he died and rose again and ascended into heaven, he said like the Terminator, I'll be back. This is a picture of the second coming of Jesus. But here's what the good news is. He says, whatever this guy needs, whatever he lacks, I'll be back. And when I come back, everything that you lacked, I'll cover it. 
I will carry it. I love what the Bible says in Psalms 103.12. The Bible says that, that he will, as far as the east is from the west, he will remove our transgressions. He will remove our sins. How far is the east is from the west? He's not talking east coast and west coast of America. He's going, listen, these things, they're so far away And that's how far I'm going to remove your iniquities. That's how far I'm going to remove your sin. Past, present, and future. This is really good news. And I love what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 8.12, it paints for us this amazing picture of God. It says that towards our transgressions, he'll, he'll be merciful. He'll respond with mercy. That's really good news. But then it gets even better, and he says that he will remember our sins no more. Friends, the picture here of Jesus sliding his Amex across the table and saying, I got this. Whatever bills he racks up, whatever he decides that he needs, whatever you got to do to take care of this man, when I come back, everything is on me. He removed my sin, past, present, and future, as far as the east is from the west. And when I come before him in belief that what he did on the cross was sufficient for me, he says, I'll remember your sins, Ronnie, no more. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. That not only do we need grace for our pardons of sin, but we get grace for our freedom from it. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And then he turns to this lawyer. And he asks a really profound question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, this sounds kind of like an easy question, and I'm sure the guy that knows the, the law frontwards and backwards, he's memorized the bulk of the Old Testament. This guy knows his stuff is probably going like, really? You just told me that whole ridiculous story to ask me a really self-explanatory question. Anybody else see the irony in it? So then he goes to respond and give Jesus an answer, and he says clearly in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy... And then watch what Jesus says. You go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Now, we've already affirmed from the very beginning, the Bible is clear. We cannot keep the law. This man is going to be incapable of doing what Jesus has asked him to do. Jesus is sending this man out going, you're going to fail but for some reason, Jesus, in his loving kindness and his mercy, he's okay with it. And I started reading that passage, and I'm like, Jesus, you're kind of a savage. You're kind of merciless. Like, you, you're going to leave, let this guy go? Like, you could have you just changed the punchline just a little bit. You could have given him a solution that wasn't impossible. But then I was reminded of the story of the prodigal son. If you remember, the, the, the prodigal son comes up to his father and he says, Dad, I want my whole inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. I want it now. What does the father do? He gives him his inheritance. 
knowing full well he's going to go out and he's going to squander it. He knows full well, my son's going to leave here and he's not going to be able to find what he's looking for. Reminds me of the old U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Done. Mic drop. He's not going to find what he's looking for, but yet the father gives him the money and sends him away. Once again, a merciless picture of God. There must be something that Jesus knew that the father knows about allowing people to run and chase things that they're never going to be able to find. Friends, in Luke 15, watch what happens. Luke 15 verse 20 says that that as the son comes back home, he's squandered his inheritance. He's laying with the pigs. And it says, so then he got up and he decided to come back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Friends, how many know when you're a long way off, somebody's got to be looking for you in order to see you? They got to be earnestly peeking out the window, standing on the front porch going, any moment I know he's going to come back because that money's going to be short-lived. He's going to try to chase some things and it's going to be short-lived. He's going to return void. He's going to try to do this thing without me. And he's going to realize that it is empty and void. And it says, so then he saw him and watch this. This is where it comes into play. And it says he was moved with compassion. He could feel it in the depth of his gut. He was moved with compassion for him and he ran and embraced him. And the Bible says that he kissed him. Friends, this is an illogical and unrealistic It's a reckless view of love towards somebody that does not deserve it. Yet this is what the picture of God the Father. He wanted to portray to us the picture of the good Samaritan. He wanted to portray to us that when he sees you in your sin and brokenness, his heart, his gut is moved with compassion for him. And then it says, he ran to him, embraced him, and he kissed him. And verse 21 says, and the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Watch this because this is where the breakthrough is. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am no longer worthy. And then verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, quickly bring out the best what? Interesting. Bring out a robe. The picture of the good Samaritan, the man is beaten, he's, he's robbed from, and the first thing that they steal, the first thing that the enemy steals from him is his robe. The first thing that happens when the prodigal son runs back to the father, the first thing that the father does is return to him, restore to him his robe. And it is a choice robe. It is the best robe. It's the one that's set aside for the guest of honor. There's something interesting happening, friends. When you come back to the father, he will provide you with a covering. And that covering is not based upon our response, our ability to abide by the rule book and the systems of religion and the law book. It's not based upon how we respond, how we talk. He says, I'm going to cover you. And it's not because you ever earned it or deserved it. 
The prodigal son never changed his life before he got the robe. He got the robe and then his life changed. Friends, this is the unbelievable mercy of God. And then it goes on and says, get him the best robe and put it on him and then give him a ring so that he remembers he could never be worthy enough to be my son and he could never be unworthy enough to be my son. Get him a ring, put it on his finger, get him sandals for his feet. Verse 33 says, bring out the fattened calf. For those of you that are vegetarians, make an amazing salad and slaughter it. Just joking, that was my version. And let us invite everyone and feast and celebrate for the son of mine who was as good as dead. Interesting, I remember a man from the story of the Good Samaritan that was as good as dead until the Samaritan came along. This one was as good as dead until he returned to the Father. He said, let us feast and celebrate for the son of mine that was as good as dead is alive again. He was lost and has been found, so they began to celebrate. Friends, I'm telling you, the Good Samaritan is not you and it is not me, and thank God that that is so. It was Jesus. The Father in the story is not you and I, it is Jesus. I'm the lame man on the side of the road. I was unable to, to, to mend myself, unable to fix myself, unable to make my heart come alive again, unable to mend my wounds, unable to mend my brokenness. And he came along and he saved me and he carried me. Friends, this is a picture of Jesus. Not just for me, but, but also for you. You know, when I read this passage, I start to realize the thing that the, the lawyer missed out on is he thought he was good. But notice the, the prodigal son, when he receives the new covering and he receives the hug from his father, he has this feeling of being unworthy. Friends, a prerequisite to get the grace of God is that you must first realize you're unworthy. The more that I read this, the more that I realize the best part about Ronnie is that he's weak. The best part about me is that I'm a really good sinner and I'm really good at missing God's mark for my life. Because the grace of God, friends, is what the Bible calls unmerited, aka unearnable, undeservable favor from God. Meaning if I could earn it, I couldn't have it. The best part about me is I'm weak and I really need Jesus in my life. The Apostle Paul agrees. He had this struggle with these sin patterns. He's like, listen, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, what a wretched, sinful man I am. Who will save me from this bondage of sin? And he's wrestling with God going, save me from my sin. Save me from my brokenness. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says this. Each time, each time I pleaded with God to remove my weakness, he says, my grace is all you need. Some of you, I promise you, you're going to get set free this weekend if you realize that the grace of God is all you need. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, I promise you it's good enough for you. 
He was a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. I don't think that's your day job. Yet he says, my grace is all, say all, all that you need. Why? Because my power, God's power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Friends, let me just tell you, the more that I'm coming to a realization of my loss, the more that I come to a realization of my weakness and I see my sin and I know my frailties, the more that God's power is available in my life. He is the good Samaritan. He is the prodigal son's father. We are the ones that need his grace, but you can only receive his grace when you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you need it. If you're able, would you stand to your feet at all of our locations? Here's the cool thing. The more that we grow in this as a church, the more that we realize that the grace of God is there for every single one of our shortcomings, for every one of our weakness. And if you were wondering what kind of a church this is, look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Look at the place where Jesus brings the man that was hurting. He brought him to an inn. We are that inn. We are the front porch for prodigals. We are the inn for the broken and the downcast and the hurting. Those who will feel cast aside. Those that feel dead on the inside. We are that inn, Red Rocks Church. We are a place that binds up and builds up and restores people that are sinners. Because Jesus is crazy about people that realize they need him. The church is the inn, but never, never, never forget. The inn is full of broken people in need of his grace. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for some people in this place that you feel, you feel the Holy Spirit doing something on the inside. For you, you probably didn't put verbiage to it. You're just like, I just feel weird on the inside. For some of you, you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You didn't know what came as a byproduct of just believing that he's enough, believing he forgave you, believing that he will restore you, believing that life comes from him. That is what the Bible says. It says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And anybody that believes in their heart that he was raised from the grave on your behalf, you will be saved. Not only given life in the here and now, but eternity forever. If that's you in this place, you have never made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for the privacy of those who are going to respond. I just want to encourage you, would you just lift up your hand so I can see you and pray for you? If you want to call Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, and you want to respond to the grace because you realize you can't do this whole life thing on your own, I want to pray for you. Amen, I see those hands. Jesus, in this moment, I just pray right now that you would intervene in some people's stories. You would prove to them and show for them your grace that is readily available for them. That on their worst day, Jesus, they're the greatest candidate for your grace and for your forgiveness. Jesus, you came not for those that are, are healed and whole and well and righteous because those don't exist. You came for the broken, the sinners, the sick, the weary, those who cannot have life on their own. And God, I just pray, would you 
intervene in some people's stories this weekend? Would you save them? The Bible says when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get a new life. We become a new creation that the old things, friends, the things that have been weighing you down, the things you've been so shameful of, the things and the patterns that you can't kick, Jesus says, my grace is all you need. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Red Rocks Church, can we celebrate the people that just made that decision for the first time all over our campuses, watching online. God, I pray right now as we go back into a time of worship, would you meet with us? Would you reveal to us your grace that in your eyes, Jesus, because we believe in you, we have the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, not based upon our works, but based upon your grace. So today we glory and we revel and we celebrate in your grace that made a way for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are the good, good, good Samaritan and everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen.